Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Welcome to the program. Today you'll be hearing from several publicly traded companies that as part of their fiduciary duty to grow their shareholder base, have hired us to expose them to our audience for potential investment consideration. Before making an investment decision, I encourage you to do your own research on each company. All of our current sponsors are featured on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We'll also speak to analysts on this program who will help to educate us and inform us as to what is happening in the financial world markets, etc. Let's begin the program. Adam Smith is the Vice President of Corporate Development for Roco Resource Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol OCO.V. Roco is a Canadian-based exploration company with gold, silver, and zinc assets in Sonora State, Mexico, a very prolific area for several pure mining concerns. Oroco expects to begin producing high-grade gold as well as silver at their Cerro Prieto project in 2013. Adam, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. What's the latest out of Sonora State and Cerro Prieto? We've advanced Cerro Prieto through the permitting process, through engineering, through costing, and bringing all of those factors that are necessary to start construction up to date. We expect during 2012 we will be in construction of the gold and silver mine at Cerro Prieto. And uh, as I've said uh, before when we spoke, the construction process of a mine of this type is fairly rapid. We expect less than a year from ground breaking to production. And during 2011, we prepared for construction by acquiring the surface rights to the ranch that hosts the mine. We've also constructed a road from the property to a nearby highway. We have prepared for construction by leveling the ranch infrastructure and removing the ranch infrastructure from around the area of the mine, and otherwise just preparing in general for the commencement of major construction. So production is in fact scheduled to begin in 2013 then? That's correct. If construction is underway in 2012, we would expect production of gold and silver to commence in 2013. What is the company saying they have in the ground? Since we listed the company in an IPO in 2008, we've conducted 15,000 meters of exploration and development drilling. We announced a 43-101 compliant resource on the project of 390,000 ounces of gold and 6 million ounces of silver. As you know, there's considerable strike length of the geological structure that hosts that resource that remains untested. We've tested on surface, and we announced in December the commencement of another drill program to develop more ore, so we expect to add to that resource. But the figure that we came up with at the end of the 15,000 meters of drilling was sufficient to design and finance and put the mine in construction, and we hope to expand the resource both in the current drill program and out of cash flow that the mine will generate. Now, you just started a drilling program last month. How is that progressing? That started just before the Christmas break. A number of holes were completed, and the target in this drill program is 500 meters of strike length of the geological structure that is immediately contiguous to the current mine. So it's very conveniently located to incorporate into a mine plan, and we've tested on surface that structure, and we have very good gold grades and very good silver grades at surface across sufficient widths to lead us to believe that there's good potential there to expand the resource of gold and silver. So your plan basically is to go into production as soon as you can and use that revenue to step out the project. That's correct. 
correct. This is a little bit of a different model than some companies follow. Normally, a company would completely drill out a mineralized prospect to determine the size of the resource and only then design a mine and seek financing for a mine. But because of the very unique opportunity that we have in northern Mexico, uh, it's an area of relatively low costs. It's an area where you can permit these things quite rapidly, and it's an area where the services available to a mining company are tremendous and plentiful. So whether it's drillers, mine construction contractors, or any of the other necessary services. So we realized we had an opportunity to put a mine into production rapidly and at relatively low cost and realize cash flow from that and utilize that cash flow to expand the resource. And you're fairly tightly held. We've been very fortunate in attracting investors who have been very loyal to the company. There's a great many funds overseas and in North America who own shares in Oroco. And we have articulated over the last three years our plan to rapidly put Cerro in production, and that has attracted shareholders of a certain type. What I know about your company compared to many of your peers is that you put most of your financial resources into the ground, and you don't spend a lot of money on promotion. That's correct, Ellis. There are a great many professionals involved in the process of designing permitting and constructing a mine. And we found that by advancing that work, we attract a good quality shareholder and very knowledgeable shareholders. What can we expect to see from the company in the next six months? In the upcoming couple of quarters, Oroco plans to finalize its mine plan. We've got metallurgy tests that are ongoing that will allow us to advance the project, and we expect shortly to be receiving the permits that will allow us to commence construction. We also have our eye on some acquisitions in the area of Cerro Prieto. To the east of the Cerro Prieto mine are a great many historical mines, many of them small artisanal mines, but nevertheless they indicate the presence of additional mineralization. So Oroco has just completed the acquisition of three separate properties, which adds significantly to the prospects of increasing the gold and silver resource. I expect we'll continue to look at additional acquisitions to the east of us, and we would hope to complete the necessary steps to start construction of the mine. We also expect during the next couple of quarters to commence exploration on an additional property, group of properties that we own. These properties are located in southern Mexico in the state of Guerrero within an area of land that was originally called the Morelos Gold Reserve, which was a reserve set aside by the Mexican government because of its prospectivity for the discovery of gold. Since the time it was set aside, there's been approximately 20 to 25 million ounces of gold discovered by a number of companies, most prominently Gold Corp. And Oroco owns concessions in that area, which contain the same type of geology which hosts the significant gold resources upstrike. It sounds like what you've got going with Cerro Prieto is just the beginning. That's correct. We expect to get in production. We expect to expand the resource at Cerro Prieto. And we have great expectations that our property in Guerrero will yield similar results to some of its neighbors. Most recently, New Strike has made significant discoveries of gold in the region. Gold Corp, who are our closest neighbor, have in excess of 12 million ounces in, uh, in reserves. And Torex is also a neighbor. They have in excess of 3 million ounces. We're quite optimistic that our Shoshapala property is going to be a very interesting one. So we've got a number of things to be excited about in 2012, both the development of a gold mine and the discovery of additional gold resources in two different locations. Well, Adam, I thank you for joining us again on the program. We all look forward to more updates as the year progresses and news from the company warrants. Thank you, Ellis. I look forward to sharing what uh, should be a very exciting year with your listeners. I've been speaking with Adam Smith, the Vice President of Corporate Development for Oroco Resource Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol OCO.V. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. 
The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored in part by Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty's Buck Reef Project is an advanced staged gold project currently in feasibility in Tanzania with a commercial production target approximately 30 months away. With $30 million in their treasury, the company is prepared to further explore and develop the property. The president of the Tanzanian Royalty is renowned commodities expert Jim Sinclair. Visit our website, TanzanianRoyalty.com. That's TanzanianRoyalty.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Many of our listeners are wondering how to proceed in the market. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I like to use the analogy of the elevator. Let's say you've just walked into the lobby of an office building. Obviously, you want to go up, you know, as we think gold is going to go up and and our resource stocks are going to go up. The door opens to the elevator and you don't see an arrow. Is it going up? Is it going down? Well, you go ahead and you get in. Well, the elevator actually ends up going down. And, and, you know, all of us will say, ah, damn, you know. But so what? So we're only going to go down one or two levels. Maybe there's a parking garage down or whatever. But we know it's going to happen, right? The elevator is going to come right back up and it's going up. So I like to use that now with an analogy for these markets. Yes, if we step in today, we think everything could go up and blast off from right here. But what if we're wrong? What if this elevator, short term, is going to go down on us? But we know it's going to come back up and go back up, and we're going to reach the heights that we deem are coming in gold and silver and resource stocks, you know, I mean, much, much higher than they are uh, today and have ever been. So I think we just have to have, you know, take a deep breath here. Again, patience, patience, patience. I keep preaching this. But this is why we need core positions. If you're not in the market now, you've got to establish some core positions and a, a lot of companies that you're comfortable with. And this is what we provide you with in our services. There's a lot of alternatives so where you can put your investment dollars. If something happens, if this elevator goes down on us first, save some cash and redeploy that cash maybe at lower levels. Again, we are long-term bullish. The short-term stuff, it's pretty tough to figure out. The best investing is done with patience, with an eye for the long-term then. Well, that's the way that I've always approached these markets. And my subscribers know we have no intention of being traders. We are not into the short-term stuff. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, maybe next month. You know, looking out over the horizon for a year, a couple of years, we are extremely bullish. And we just think that everybody really needs to you know, share that viewpoint, especially our followers, because we just have no intention of the short-term stuff. It doesn't excite us. And most people are not good at it. It's a totally different game. So we are really long-term investors. Take some patience. We step in here. A lot of the companies that we follow are relatively low-priced companies, a lot of them less than 10 cents. But we're in there for a reason, because we see something. A lot of these little companies, percentage-wise, are up 50 to 100% off their bottom already, and that's pretty cool. But it's all about patience, developing core positions, and waiting for the markets to come to us. What is the risk factor when you're investing in a super-cheap company like that? 
You know, number one, we invariably are looking at the management. Who is the management? What is their track record? Does the company have some cash in the bank so they don't have to run out and do another private placement at these ridiculously low prices, you know, the share prices? It's pretty tough if the stock is, you know, 10 cents or less and you need to raise a substantial amount of money. It's just incredible dilution, and we really don't want to be part of that situation. We're also religiously following the insider transactions on all of the companies that we're involved with. And so we feel good if we know the insiders have a substantial position or are continuing to buy in our companies. It gives us a much greater degree of confidence, okay? Even though the share price is less than 10 cents, it gives us that added confidence that we need to to stay the course. And right now, we're starting to notice some pretty good volume and upside activity on some of the very, very small uranium companies, many of which are selling for less than 10 cents. What's this all about? I have no idea. We're on board, and subscribers know we're on board with these companies. So we love to just take a nice position and wait, and we're going to have some great gains down the road. Let's face it, as everybody says, I mean, the secret to making money is what? you got to buy low, and you got to sell high. Well, when we're buying, let's say, below $0.10, cents, I've got to believe we're buying about as low as you can possibly get. If we've got some good management, maybe insider activity, some cash in the bank, we are comfortable with waiting and let those markets come to us. Follow Dudley Baker and his picks by subscribing to his website and his service, PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. That's PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Dudley, thanks for joining me today on the program. Thanks, Ellis. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. In this segment, I'll be speaking with Neil Ringdahl, the president of Apogee Silver Limited, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol APE and in the U.S. as AGEEF. Apogee Silver is a dynamic Toronto-based junior exploration and development company with a strategic focus on advanced stage silver, zinc, and lead deposits in world-class mineral districts in South America. Apogee's primary focus is the Pulacayo Paca property, located in southwestern Bolivia. Apogee has been advancing the property since 2006 through a joint venture agreement with Golden Minerals Company, formerly Apex Silver. Apogee is also exploring the Cachinal Silver property, located in northern Chile. Apogee has a recent share price of 18 cents and is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Neil, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Ellis, and thank you very much for having me on the program. Give us an update on Apogee Silver. Well, we've commenced our trial mining since uh, we last spoke, and the guys are still busy with development. We should start opening up the first uh, couple of stubs in the next month or two. It's very exciting. We've been receiving really, really good grades. I'd love to be able to disclose what they are, but we're just doing our checks and balances and making sure that the numbers are correct. It's very exciting news and certainly very pleasing to have better than expected results. You recently disclosed on December 20th two drill hole results, 515 grams per ton of silver at one and 462.9 grams per ton at another. That's fairly significant. Yeah, those are individual drill hole results, and obviously you can't take that on their own, but, you know, there's other drill holes that you've got to take them into account with. But they're certainly indicative of a very prospective resource, and, you know, we're certainly seeing sort of comparable numbers in the underground. The question is how much dilution are we going to get and so on. And that's why we've been doing with the trial mining program, to firm up on those numbers to see what we're going to get out. You know, we should start, once we've built up a little stockpile, we will start uh, custom toll milling, and that will provide us with a uh, 
useful information for just confirmatory on our plant design, which we're finalising as well right now. You know, that really sets the scene for us to take the company to the next stage, which is to put the mine into production and start producing silver commercially from within Bolivia. Is there any way to pin down the timeline on that? Very much depends on how our permitting process goes with the permitting of a plant. I think uh, I might have mentioned to you before that we had a permit for mining and custom tool milling for up to 200 tons per day. And we're currently in the process of obtaining a second permit for a 400 ton per day processing facility at the site. That involves a number of stakeholders and a number of processes. And we're in the middle of that. And so we're expecting to receive an you know, environmental permit in the second quarter of this year. And from there, we will go straight into construction and hopefully have a plant in commercial production early in 2013. Well, that's just over a year away. It's a very prolific part of Latin America, and you have a unique arrangement with the government and the people in Bolivia. That's right. I think most of the companies that are operating in Bolivia have gone the extra mile to working with the local communities in that, but we enjoy special support from the local community in that the mine is a historical mine. It produced, uh, you know, 9 million ounces for 75 years before it was uh, closed down in 1952. So the local people were very, very excited to see the mine come back into production again. It's going to, you know, receive some of its former glory that it will regain some of its former glory that it had before. So we're seeing a lot of support from that point of view. And we also gone the extra mile in terms of making sure that we employ guys local to the area and we're training up the people local to the area into more skilled positions as well, as opposed to getting in contractors and so on. And that's important because, you know, if you don't invest in the people in the area, then uh, they don't buy into the project. And you need to have that in this day and age. You can't expect to just, you know, build a clinic and expect the guys to be happy with that. You've got to go the extra mile and make sure that they see the benefits of any development in their particular, you know, zone of influence or the mine, you know. What kind of job pool of experienced miners is available locally? That's the trouble. We were, you know, hoping to find a large number of skilled people, but it seems that that's not the case. So we find that a lot of the, you know, we're going through a fairly steep learning curve with the guys we've employed, training them up from scratch. You know, they're new to mining. They're young people. Their grandfathers did the mining. Many of them are not around anymore. So we're having to start from the beginning again. We've got the patience for that, and I think it's important to have the patience for that because it'll pay the dividends in the medium term. What we're doing is we're uh, complementing the local force with a few skilled professionals. We've got a multinational management team, Bolivians. We have Peruvians, South Africans. We have Canadians on our team. You know, these guys all work together in expatriate environments, if you like, and have the experience of dealing with workforces that are perhaps not as skilled as we'd like to, but they also have the skills of training them up and getting them up to a level that's of a world-class standard. I recently interviewed David Morgan, and he's forecasting a $60 an ounce price point for silver before the end of this year. If that's the case, that may double the value of whatever resource you'll be reporting from where silver sits today. That's right. I mean, your cutoff grade drops significantly if the metal prices go up. Our life of mine plan is based on a very conservative, you know, $22 silver price, which is, you know, the kind of engineering way of looking at it. If you put in a $60 silver price, you know, that kind of, I would say, doubles your return on investment, definitely. And it also doubles the resource size. If you want to mine a larger resource, you can look at a completely different uh, scenario, maybe bringing in some more lower-grade tons and, you know, expanding the mine going forward to capitalize on the increased total number of ounces that we have in the resource. 
for me, it's it's really exciting because it immediately drives you know the revenue number. And if you've got a cost per ounce of nine or ten dollars per ounce as a mining cost, you know, and maybe twelve or thirteen dollars, twelve to fifteen dollars for a total cost of two company, and you have a revenue or a price of sixty dollars silver, that's that's a significant profit margin, isn't it? It certainly is. Neil, as always, it's been great to catch up with you. I look forward to some potentially exciting news for Apogee Silver coming up next time we speak, hopefully. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Ellis. Keep well. I've been speaking with the president of Apogee Silver, Neil Ringdahl. Apogee trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol APE and in the U.S. as AGEEF. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Scott Drever, the president of Silvercrest Mines, which trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STVZF. Silvercrest Mines is a Mexican precious metals producer with headquarters based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Their flagship property is the 100% owned Santa Elena mine, which is located northeast of Hermosillo in the prolific state of Sonora, Mexico. The mine is a high-grade epithermal gold and silver producer. The company anticipates that the 2,500 tons per day facility should produce an average of approximately 800,000 ounces of silver and 30,000 ounces of gold per full production year from the open pit heat leach operation. Scott, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Alice. As usual, it's a, a pleasure to be here. Since we last spoke, you released news about your Phase 2 drilling program at La Jolla. Tell us about that. Well, as you know, we completed the Phase 1 earlier this year and released a bunch of results on that. Our Phase 2 is underway. It's about a $3 million program that will obviously continue the extension of the mineralized zones that we've seen so far in Phase 1. We were really pleased with Phase 1. We're in the process of completing a NI43-101 resource estimate and, and technical report, and we hope to release that probably the first week in January. That will give us a, a resource on the Phase 1 area, which we will review and update as the drilling continues. Well, you expect some news to come out very soon then. This is not anything we're going to have to wait a month or two for. No, we shouldn't have to. The way we do those or the way we were allowed to do those is to make a press release on the resource numbers and then follow that up within, I think we have 45 days to file the report on CDAR. We want to try and keep those two events as close together as possible so that people can follow up on the information on the press release and see it in the report. And of course, the report gives you a much more detailed look at the nature of the resource and the grades and tonnages and those sorts of things. So we're hoping to have both of those done by the end of January. You're one of the few silver juniors that's performing extremely well in this downward trending market. Do you believe that it's because of the work you're doing in the ground at Santa Elena and La Jolla, or is it relative to the volatility with silver right now? I think the volatility of silver has a little bit to do with it, but I don't think as much as our operations at Santa Elena and the expectations building on the La Jolla. As a number of people know from our previous conversations, the Santa Elena production is going very well. We've reported on two quarters this year. Each has been better than the last, and our fourth quarter this year has been very, very good from a production point of view and from a profitability point of view. 
So I think people look at that as a stabilizing factor from our stock price perspective. We've got good solid cash flow. Next year should be a banner year for a number of reasons for us. We'll have a full year of production, and I think the gold and silver prices are going to hold up very well. So we have that stabilizing base, if you will, in, in terms of cash flow and production. And on the other side of things, the reporting that we've done on La Jolla to date has indicated that we may have our teeth into a sizable deposit that people are in, you know, are sort of waiting in anticipation of further news on it. So I think the combination of those two things are the main reason for the resilience in our share prices. Your company seems that potentially it may be undervalued at the current share price near $2. I would certainly agree with that, Ellis. I think the $2 value reflects in part the value of Santa Elena in its current state. We have a sizable expansion program going on there that will double that production in the next two to three years. I think our current market price reflects at least the operations that we have there now. I don't think there's much built into that price in terms of that expansion plan. And I don't think there's very much built into the share price in terms of the potential for So the possibility of a serious upside move on our share price is very good. And that's reflected in the analysts that are covering us. Can't accord genuity. Their analyst has a target price, I think, of about 375 right now. And Jennings Capital, their analyst out of Toronto, has a target price of, I believe it's $5 at this point. And those two target prices do give some value to La Jolla down the road. We haven't seen any huge inclines in the last two months. It's been more or less a gradual and steady uptick generally, even in a down market. You've headed up about 30 to 40 percent because the increase hasn't been an extreme spike. It would seem that the risk of a sharp decline would not be as strong. That would certainly be my sense, looking at the performance of the stock to date. We did make a substantial move, as you pointed out. It seems to be consolidating here nicely at, you know, between $1.90 and 220 And I think that's healthy from a going forward perspective to have it move reasonably well, consolidate, and then make another move. And I think when we announce the result of our phase one resource estimates, and are able to articulate the potential based on those resources, uh, I think we'll see another upward move fairly quickly. What can we see for 2012 in general? 2012, from a corporate perspective, I think we'll have a very, very good year with Santa Elena in terms of production. We have everything working at an optimum rate right now. I think we've reached that steady state that is crucial in a heat bleach operation to have your mine and crusher producing consistently and getting material on the pad for leaching. So we think our production will be consistent month over month for that year. Personally, I anticipate a fairly strong move in both silver and gold prices which will certainly improve our revenue stream. Next year, we have probably 20,000 ounces or thereabouts of gold that will go into the spot market, where this year we delivered a fair amount of our gold production into a hedge position that we have. So we've got a lot of room on the gold side to take advantage of spot markets that I think will be much higher than we're seeing right now. We'll be working on the expansion plan at Santa Elena. We'll be calling an underground decline. That'll get us a look at the deposit below the open pit and that'll give us a good sense of what kind of reserves and resources we can expect there. So Santa Elena will go along very nicely, create a a nice cash flow base for us, and we will be paid out of our debt. We'll have our hedge position on the gold reduced fairly dramatically for 2012. And of course, all of our silver production is free to hit the spot market. The La Jolla project, we're approaching that very aggressively. We have a $3 million budget laid out for probably the first half of the year. We expect to drill 
schedule about 80 holes in that period to define the main mineralized trend that we've identified there, plus get a feel for the three other targets that we've identified on that property. So next year will be an exciting one, both from a financial perspective for the company and from a growth of resources and reserves. Well, I definitely appreciate the update, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. Thanks once again, Ellis. Len Brownlee, the president of Gold Rush Resources, joins us now for a conversation about his company's operations in Burkina Faso, West Africa. Gold Rush trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GOD.V, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as GDRRF. Their flagship project is the Ranjen Gold Deposit, where they have defined 249,000 ounces of 43101 compliant inferred gold. Extensive core and reverse circulation drilling was conducted in late 2010 that has significantly expanded the Ranjen deposit. The company's permits are all located in areas underlain by the West African Beremian Greenstone belts which have a prolific history of gold production in this area of the world. Len, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Ellis, for having me. Now, you were gone for a while in Burkina Faso. Tell us about the highlight of your trip, if you don't mind. It was a quick trip, about a week, but we got a lot accomplished in that time frame. We visited eight of our 12 permits, drove about 1,600 kilometers around the country in order to do that. We witnessed three drill programs that were underway. The drills have now moved on to three other new sites, so we've still got three programs underway. We hope to have them all wrapped up before the end of the year. So it was a good trip in terms of seeing where we're at with our drill programs, and we're pretty excited about what we think will be coming out of the assay lab. At least a couple of the cases, things look very good. At our Rongwen gold deposit, some of our more recent results are about 1.49 grams per ton over 38 meters and 2.16 gram per ton over about 25 meters. We seem to be coming up with similar material, so we're looking forward to a resource update and a vastly expanded resource come the end of Q1 this year. Secondly, we went to a permit called Woasi. We've had that permit for some time. It wasn't that high on our priority list for a period of time until our chief geologist decided to take a little field trip there. In the time between when we'd acquired the permit and when he went for his visit, a large number of local artisanal miners had moved in. They've been extracting gold from two structures with two other satellite structures as well. The main structure has a strike length now of about 1,700 meters that they've excavated, so a very good-looking strike length. And the permit itself lies near the Markoy Fault, which is one of the major geological structures in Burkina. There are three mines that are associated with that fault, and Owasi has the Markoy Fault running through it. The mines typically occur on splays off of the main sort of northeast trending fault, and sure enough, the strike length of the artisanal workings is a splay off that fault. That's very promising. As well, some of the rock sampling results we're getting back from that area are anywhere from 2 to 9 grams, so very significant material. So that was at what's called the Vilwasi site. The other site that we looked at was Poisin, and there the artisanal miners are actually getting mechanized. They have a tractor, they have uh, diesel pumps, and they're quite a bit better organized than these guys usually are, which is indicative of them having found enough gold in the last year to purchase that equipment. A very interesting-looking site. We're getting rock samples at Poisson of up to 9 grams and a 700-meter strike length as well, so both very significant sites. While we were there, we made a determination to put about 2,800 meters of RC drilling into those sites, first drilling that's ever been conducted on that permit, and we're very, very enthused by what we think will come out of the drilling there. Did you expect all of this before your trip? No. 
not really. The WASI permit we've had for several years, but as I said, it was always a low-level priority because there were other permits with more sort of evident or you know obvious targets. And really what happened was there's a growing season in Burkina. The crops, the millet and sorum and so forth grow up to three meters high. And so if you do any field work during the growing season, you can't see where the artisanal workings are because they're basically covered with crop. As soon as they cut the crop, then mining workers or gold workers come back in and start digging again right through to the rainy season. And so when the crops were cut, suddenly the extent of their workings became evident, and they hadn't been evident before that point. And as well, this is the time of year where they start up artisanal mining, so you're suddenly seeing camps and villages spring up where there was no one six weeks ago. So it was very startling to see how much activity was going on, and they were a very enthusiastic crowd of miners at the Poisson site. So the enthusiasm translates into passion for their exploration efforts as you proceed, correct? They're not there for their health. They're there to find gold, and if they find gold, then they're a happy lot. So they're finding gold. That's a good marker. But in addition, we've got the structural setting that we're looking for. We're seeing large, wide quartz veins that are obviously mineralized, the structural context in which those are occurring, the intrusives, the rock types, and the fact that you're on a display of the Marquois Fault are all very positive. So the step out looks pretty promising, and you feel that you have quite a bit of room in that regard. Well, having 1,700 meters worth of strike length is certainly, uh, at this point, very encouraging. As an example, or comparative, uh, our Rongwen gold deposit right now has a defined strike length of about 1,700 meters. So anytime you're getting up to over a mile of strike length, you can see some sort of tonnage potential that is quite intriguing. And the other thing I should add is that these guys aren't working on just one vein. There seems to be a series of parallel structures as well. So we're seeing some width, particularly at the Poisson site, which is a little bit shorter, uh, defined right now as about 700 meters, but it's considerably wider because there seems to be a number of parallel structures that they're working on. So all of this will be tested with a drill. It just started on uh, December 5th, and it will be finished hopefully by the end of the year here, and we'll have results thereafter. So those were very positive elements of the trip. And then the last thing I'd mention is down in the southwest corner of the country near the Ghanaian border, Ampella Resources came up with a new resource estimate on their Conquera gold deposit. They're up to 3.1 million ounces, and they announced subsequent to that that they'd staked another 750 square kilometers of ground. Well, they now surround our Medibo permit on all sides. And we've started a soil sampling program at Medibo. Hope to have results by the end of the year as well. And we'll be formulating drill targets off of that. So another interesting target. This is something we've talked about before, Len. You may be considerably undervalued based on everything I've heard. I would tend to agree with that based on the level of activity we have, our permit locations, our geological team, just a vast array of drill results that we're anticipating having in the early new year. I'd really hope that our current share price is a distant memory early into the new year because I, I really think that we should be revalued at a much higher level. Well, Len, once again, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. I wish you a happy holiday season. I look forward to speaking with you again in the new year. Thanks for bringing this positive news to the program. Well, thank you for having me, Ellis, and uh, yes, the uh, best of the season to you and your listeners as well. I've been speaking with Len Brownlee, the president of Gold Rush Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol G-O-D, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as GDRRF. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. Welcome back to the program, Greedy Guru. Listen, I'm at your website right now, thegreedyguru.com, and the caption at the top is, 
the only resource investment service you will ever need. In short, the only resource investment service you will ever need is because we follow the top picks of the pros, the other analysts in the business, and we uh, we take their information and we analyze it further. So we are looking at a refined list of companies that are more interesting than others due to the interest of, of other professionals in the business. Well, these markets are very, very risky, at least in the short term. The potential exists to lose money. Again, on your website, you have a so-called newbie alert followed by the caption, These markets will chew you up and spit you out. How do we avoid that with your committee of analysts? Well, quite honestly, if you look at the markets today, I'm sitting pretty negative as well as gold. So it, it seems like our, our picks as of right now and the methodology we use to, to refine those picks is holding up yeah, not, not, only, not only better than expected, but fantastically. Um, on balance, every stock that, that we've issued by recommendations on since the launch has, has performed um, very well. Uh, so, so even in the current market conditions, we're looking at, at companies that are not only sound, but are, are recommended by a lot of, of analysts that have, that have spent the time to, to look into each one of these companies and see why they're worth what they're worth, why, what the potential of them is in the future. Now, each, each one of these companies has its own story. So you can hear a story from each analyst, and everybody's got their, their perspective that makes them either really eager or, or really negative about any particular company. But when you combine those, those analyses from several different uh, professionals in the business, you, you are able to really pinpoint which ones, whether it be a great market or a horrible market, are still going to perform. Now, if this was rip-roaring bull market right now, we would be looking at you know already the, the hundreds of percent gains in everything. Um, and that, that's, our, that's our opinion as of right now. But on balance, we're looking at, at great gains even in a nasty market. So I think, I think the methodology is, is very solid, and I believe the analysts we follow are also very solid. Now, if you'd followed any one of those analysts specifically, you, you could seriously be, you know, entering just the, the same negative environment that everybody else is. So we're, we're really trying to refine that and say, okay, well, out of all of these companies available, which ones are still going to perform, whether the market's good, bad, or flat? And I think, I, I, in fact, I not only think, I'm, I'm looking at the results right now. We, we do track the performance of the Greedy Guru's picks and, and our buy and sell recommendations. And as of right now, on balance, we, we have nothing that's, uh, that's, that's really had a substantial hit. In fact, we've had some pretty substantial gains. Now, I'm a subscriber to thegreedyguru.com. And what you do is you're offering recommendations whether to buy, hold, or sell. These are not just buy recommendations. Right, right. No, and that's normally the key. It's not just the key as to, to when to buy something. It's the target price you want to buy it at, the time you want to get out. The, you know, the, the times when, even though the stock might look fantastic, you know, and, and we have a good example right now where we, where we put a hold on something that, that was performing, but at the same time, the, the price to jump into it might be a little bit outside of where we wanted to be. So we went ahead and issued the hold recommendation. Not to say the company's not great, not to say it's not going to go where we want, but the percentage gains we initially look for when entering a new company are, are really geared around their, their initial target price as to what we get into. So at each stage of the game, whether it be a week after someone subscribes a month or a year, each stage will have its own buy, hold, or sell recommendations based on the current market conditions, not just the story itself. You're basically a new service, and being a new service, you have an introductory offer that's in place until January 15th. Tell us about that, Greedy Guru. Well, the introductory offer is... Four ninety five annually and include a full range of the service, all the buy, sell, and hold recommendations, as well as, as any news releases and, and, uh, and further analysis on each of the companies. It uh, gives, gives any of the subscribers the access to our audios and our emails that go out, as well as any of the information that we find pertinent to the uh, resource sector that we are actually following at the moment. So that's about $40 a month, basically, for the service. Yes, and any serious investor should know that that's just a very menial, menial amount of money just to 
just to, to have a select group of stocks that are going to perform and, and quite honestly outperform the vast majority of the analysts' individual recommendations because it's combining all of the analysts' recommendations. GreedyGuru.com. I've been speaking with the Greedy Guru. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. Join me now for a candid interview with America's preeminent expert on precious metals, commodities, and foreign currencies, Jim Sinclair. Mr. Sinclair is the president of sponsor Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the Amex division of the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty focuses primarily on gold assets strategically located in the Lake Victoria Greenstone Belt of Tanzania, one of the most prolific gold-producing regions in the world. The company acquired a 55% interest in the Advanced Stage Buck Reef Gold Mine Development Project, which could see commercial production in 2014. Previously to helming Tanzanian royalty, Mr. Sinclair was the founder of the Sinclair Group of Companies, which offered brokerage services in stocks, bonds, etc. He was an advisor to Hunt Oil and the Hunt family from 1981 through 1984 for the liquidation of their silver position as a prerequisite for the $1 billion loan arranged by former Fed Chairman Paul Volcker. Mr. Sinclair was a general partner and member of the executive committee of two New York stock exchange firms and the president of a commodities clearing firm, as well as Global Arbitrage, a derivative dealer in metals and currencies, and we're pleased to have him as a weekly guest on the Ellis Martin Report. Jim, welcome back to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. Now, you had some news out last week with regard to your diamond drilling program at Buck Reef. We had, you know, some very fine results, actually discovery results. We have in the last two months announced two new discoveries. Tell us about that. Sure. One is Lingunya. The other one is on the Buck Reef. They're both very interesting. The property called Lingunya has surface values on it, and that's what we were looking primarily for. But of course, following the geology, we went deeper and came up with some very fine intercepts. The property is directly on strike with Tusker Mine, which is Barrick, and Barrick recently announced 4.2 million ounces there. It's very interesting to see how that works out. And the Buck Reef, we went to an area called Buck Reef Porphyry. We've come up with some not only extremely interesting grades, but also the widths are terrific. And so that looks like it's going to add a good deal of ounces to the Buck Reef. So I'm pretty happy about what's going on on the ground. When do you think we'll see some results? Well, the, the results will come in the ounces as we upgrade our 43-101. And we have one upgrade in the making right now. As soon as this drill program is finished, we submit it to our engineering consultants, and they'll yield to us the ounces we've defined. What's your mandate for Tanzanian royalty for the next six months? To do two things. One, to obtain its mining license on the Kagosi property, which is near surface material. Number two, to go past the three million ounce mark on the Buck Reef project. At what point will investors look back to the winter and spring of 2012 as potential bargain area to have accumulated companies like yours and others in the junior resource sector? 
It's impossible for companies to continue, in my opinion, for companies to have the price of their stock stagnant or lower and the value of their assets continually rising. Gold always climbs a wall of disbelief in all sectors of its investment. But it's getting pretty close to a point now where arguing the future of gold becomes more difficult. You know that I believe that the true range for 2012 will be 1700 2100 I firmly believe that this accordion shop we've been going through is over. I firmly believe in QE to infinity, as there's absolutely no other alternative in an election year. You mix them together in a pot, and uh, if you had a company that you could sell for, uh, let's just say this is purely hypothetical, let's say you could sell a company for $15, it's certainly not going to be trading at $3. It's my understanding that only about 2% of the investing public is even aware. I wonder if it is even 2%. And the capitalization of the gold companies, including the majors, is very small compared to other industrial groups. So at some point, there's going to be a tipping point where even if another 2 or 5 or 10% picked up on the idea of gold... Well, there'll be value buyers, too. As I say, you can analyze companies now according to the last sale of similar mix of ounces. Uh, ounces come in different categories. So a similar mix of ounces, then you take a look at what your ounces are, take a look at the mix of ounces, what their definitions are. You can pretty well figure out what the market for your company would be if you chose to sell it. Other people will be sharpening their pencils and come to the same conclusion that in the discrepancy between what the market sees as its value and what the value is in transaction is becoming larger and larger by the day. Eventually, it has to act as a magnet on the stock price. Who's going to do that homework? Well, the people are looking. I mean, I've got a meeting on Wednesday. I'm surprised at the quality of the attendance. There are people who specialize in looking for items which have been depressed, not, you know, artificially or otherwise. There is, with all major investment firms, although it used to be quite large but small now, resource investing. It moves from uh, items such as copper and oil, always being watched in gold. Those are the type of people who will uh, take an interest in it. And from that interest comes uh, write-ups. From write-ups comes your uh, retail interest. Last week, you alluded to a surprise coming in the market. Did we see that last Thursday or Friday? Well, actually, remember, everybody was bearish, and I said, give it two more days. And I think we're up 50 points since then, maybe a bit more. I did make a very pointed remark in that interview that that was a trading concept, not an investment concept. I was looking for the market to establish itself out of the shop in two days. But it's not tied to any specific singular news event. I think I made that quite clear in our last interview. We had some fairly significant news from Europe just before the weekend. The fact that the downgrading of France, it corresponds with a lower dollar, is not what people would have expected on Friday afternoon. Anomalies are important. When things happen that you don't expect to happen, you've got to ask yourself, well, why isn't the euro down hard on that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of which is that between 80 and 82 on the dollar, it seemed over the last years, uh, that's on the USDX measure. Not for technical reasons, but basically fundamental reasons where central banks want to change the mix of their reserves, there's been significant selling of the dollar. It actually seems to continue. The uh, fact that we're in an election year, the fact that there's you know, not a dramatic difference between potential candidates as it stands right now, that if we follow John Williams' uh, shadow statistics that looks at our present statistics without the adjustments since 1970, you'd see that we're doing nothing but bouncing along the bottom. And that bottom, in truth, was created by QE1 and QE2. Now, not that QE3 it will solve anything. It won't. But we are in a political year. Short of a war with Iran, Q1 
QE3 would be required to assure the present incumbency of remaining in office. So I don't see any alternative truthfully in, in reasonable analysis outside of QE to infinity. That, to me, uh, you know, the dollar is 50% euro on the USDX index. Well, there are 50% other. There could be quite a standoff where that's concerned, and not necessarily what everybody expects, a lower U.S. dollar in uh, 2012. A mix of the lower U.S. dollar in 2012 should it occur, and QE3 guarantees gold at a minimum of 2100 Jim, it's been a great pleasure as always to speak with you this week. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Well, I look forward to it too, and I would like to thank our listeners. I've been talking with Jim Sinclair, president of Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of a company with significant assets of zirconium, rare earths, and rare metals, as well as gold and copper in New South Wales, Australia. Alkane Resources trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX as ANLKY. That's ANLKY. The Alkane story has been a compelling one, reflecting the success of their Dubbo Zirconia project and the international market for zirconium and rare metal resources. Ian, welcome back to the program. Uh, hi, Alice. Nice to be with you again. Your company released news about an ore reserve upgrade at Dubbo. Would you like to tell us about that? Basically, uh, what we've done is publish an upgraded reserve statement for the Dubbo Zirconia project. This is a very important step because reserves are a, a step above resources. Resources just define the material in the ground, whereas reserves mean that there's an economic imprint feasibility done on it. And so that 36 million tonnes that we've identified as open pitable reserves gives us at least a start-up or initial start-up mine life of 36 years. So it's a very important step with the project going forward. What is the potential revenue during that time period for the company? Substantial. Basically, the revenues are around about $500 million a year. So if you take $500 million and multiply it by 36, you get something like $18 billion revenue over that 36-year period. So it's a substantial project and substantial revenue generating capacities. You know, I sort of did the math before doing this interview, and quite honestly, I couldn't believe my of course, it's not the actual profit. I mean, the cash flow out of that's about, well, it's $300 million a year cash flow, which then multiplied by 36, you get something like $10 billion a year cash flow over that 36 years. So, yeah, it still is a, a very, very substantial uh, return. That makes you a major player in any industry in Australia, correct? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah, certainly a major mining operation. And importantly for us, a very significant player in the zirconium industry and the heavier earth industry, which is you know, really where we've been targeting now for 15 years. When you're talking about that kind of revenue, what will you be doing with the money? It's a, it's, it's a, good, it's a good question, actually. I mean, we genuinely believe we can pay dividends. I mean, that's the board strategy. We've had it now for a number of years. We felt that when this project got up in production, that would be the capability. Again, once we've paid back all capital facilities, etc., we're in a position to pay dividends, and major shareholders believe in that concept as well. So we genuinely believe we'll be a significant dividend-paying company. Now, you expect to be going into production with gold at the Tommingley Project in 2013. Let's talk about that. There's a process for approvals, an environmental impact statement. There's a process that the state goes through, and one of the final stages is it goes on what they call public display or public exhibition. 
exhibition. So for 28 days, that environmental statement or that environmental report is available to the public. People can look at it, they can comment, they can lodge objections. So it's an important part of the process. And once that 28-day period is up, if there are no substantial objections, the state then usually approves the project to go ahead. If there are significant issues, then we have to come back and address them and make sure that we comply again. And eventually that goes back to the state who then decide, have we complied, have we met all the new conditions? So we remain very confident the project has no other major environmental impacts. Pretty confident we'll get the final go-ahead sometime in the new year. It may be February, March before we get that go-ahead, but at least this is a, another big step forward. Well, you've got a great deal of work to do between Double and Tomlinley with the jobs you're creating for these two projects and those teams. How are you handling the infrastructure of the company itself? Again, important thing. I mean, historically, we've run two development teams, one for the Gold Project, one for the, the Zirconia Project, and those two teams are intimately involved with taking it forward. Now, obviously, when you go from conceptual feasibility study through to construction, the whole thing changes. So Alcane, over the next six months, will go through a transition where we'll take on senior employees to take the Tomingley project through development and then into production and then obviously put on all the operating staff when we're ready to go. With Dubbo, we're still a good 12 months away from getting to that point where we can start proceeding. We've got to get the financing in place, the approvals in place, and that should be uh, the target for that's by the end of next year. Then Dubbo will go through that next transition. Fortunately, the area we operate is an area with a substantial existing workforce. I mean, it's a major agriculture cultural region that also has a number of significant operating mines. So there is a good workforce that's already available and, and we don't really anticipate having difficulty getting the right people to, to run these projects. Now you mentioned financing. What kind of money do you need to get both these projects going? Are you going to the market for it or do you have other ways of raising the cash? With Tomingley, it's about $90 million Australian dollar capital cost. We have a $45 million facility on offer to us from Credit Suisse, the large international bank. The other $45 we'll have to raise and we're looking at the options of doing that and that probably will mean us going to the market at some stage to raise that $45 million. Now Dubbo said still 12 months out. The total capital for that was about $890 million, but on that $890 there's something like $180 million of that is made up of contingencies and EPCMs, add-on type things. So we think the actual real number will be closer to $750 or $800 for that project going forward. And right now there are a number of options available to us and one of them is a small strategic sell-down of part of the project and we think we can do that with an escalator to NPV value. So the current model has an NPV of $1.2 billion. We think we could sell 10% for maybe $200 or $300 billion. Then there's, interestingly, a, quite a large amount of funding available from government agencies. And these are certainly Japan, Korea, European countries now are really putting up loan facilities to ensure that those countries get access to these strategic metals and applies to both the zirconium and the rare earths. To a lesser extent, Niobium, but it's still important. There's substantial funds available available from those sources as well. And then finally, again, just normal commercial debt and then equity. And we've tried to target ourselves to being fairly minimal impact as far as the equity market is concerned. And we're trying to minimise the uh, the impact on the equity side of the business and, and get all the other financing applications or components in first. Rare metal prices are a bit depressed at the moment, but over the long run, that's certainly most likely not going to be the case. We remain very positive about the business, the whole business, the zirconium business particularly. There will certainly be 
a flat period now of maybe six months while we get through this latest financial situation. But as we go forward into the second half of 2012 and into 2013, we're very confident that the zirconium price will continue to escalate. The rare earths, it'll go through a transition over the next four or five years when the big producers like Molycorp, Linus come on stream. Some of the bulk volume rare earths like Lanthanum and Cerium, they may well come down further in price. But the key ones, Neodymium and then the heavies, Dysprosium, Terbium, Yttrium, I think those prices will remain strong for a long time unless there's again a major change in the supply chain over the next sort of 10, even to 20 years. So we remain very positive about this business and where we're going to be situated in it starting 2014. Ian, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to continued positive news coming from Dubbo and Tom Lee. Thanks for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. A pleasure as usual. Once again, I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, President and Managing Director of Alkane Resources. Alkane trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.